Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This is an Apostrophe podcast production. We regret to inform you, the Rejection Podcast. We couldn't get anyone to give us any funding, not even seed money. No one believed in us. Justin McLeod. When Justin McLeod was in the seventh grade, he was doing regular seventh grade things, riding his bike, going to the Louisville Zoo, oh, and studying for his SATs. At age 12, McLeod took his very first standardized test and scored exceptionally high. So high, that summer, he got invited to what he calls Nerd Camp, formerly known as a Talent Identification Program run by Duke University. There he learned about all things computers and discovered the second love of his life, coding. The first love of his life was the girl he'd met in English class who'd become his girlfriend. He was totally in love. He says it was amazing. Already in the seventh grade, he was done looking. He'd found her, his person. Until one day, she turned around at her desk and broke the news. She was dumping him. Then she turned forward again, and just like that, he was rejected. He says he was a sensitive, scrawny, only child. He was small and unathletic. 
already on the outside of the cool group looking yearningly inward. She got their few mutual friends in the breakup. Now he felt totally alone. He'd later say even though he was only 12 at the time, that breakup was traumatic. But coding, coding on the other hand, would never leave him. Coding gave McLeod a sense of purpose and a community of like-minded outsiders who shared his distaste of sports and his utter obsession with technology. Over the next three years, he put all his energy into improving his coding skills. And by grade 10, though he didn't have a new girlfriend, he'd completed all of his 12th grade math and calculus classes. Finishing his courses so early left McLeod a little more time in his schedule, which he filled with his first high school parties. But it wasn't long before one drink turned into two. Bottles. And by his senior year, McLeod's partying could no longer be written off as teenage experimentation. He developed a drinking problem. McLeod didn't let alcohol interfere with his academic life, never slipping so much as a grade point. By 2002, he was accepted to Colgate University in New York State to study mathematical economics and political science. He figured maybe he'd become a banker. And for the first time, McLeod left his hometown of Louisville, Kentucky, and was off on his own. But college, where partying was the main catalyst for connection, was a dangerous place for an alcoholic. For the most part, drinking was how you met the people who would become your friends and partners over the next four years and beyond. By the end of his freshman year, he not only had an alcohol addiction, but a drug addiction as well. And come summer, instead of heading back south to his hometown, McLeod checked himself into rehab. Come September, McLeod was out of rehab and back at school, where, he says, he celebrated his summer of sobriety by promptly getting drunk at a party. That night, he passed out in a campus stairwell. A freshman was passing through and came across McLeod draped across the banister, and the sight scared her a little. This was her very first day at college. She'd never even had a sip of alcohol before. The following semester, she walked into a new class, only to spot the face of that sauced sophomore she'd once stepped over, sitting front row. This time, he was conscious, upright and sober. She sat beside him and struck up a conversation. Her name was Kate, and she and McLeod became college sweethearts. The pair was inseparable, but McLeod's drinking wasn't slowing down. That summer, he, once again, checked himself into rehab. The following summer, he'd go again, until Kate had enough. She told McLeod that she couldn't wait for him to get his addiction under control. They were done, and she transferred to Wellesley College. McLeod was devastated. He said no relationship would ever compare to Kate. He lost his soulmate. That day, he decided he would get sober. Then that night, he drank again to avoid the pain of rejection. Okay, tomorrow he'd turn a new leaf. Maybe the next day after that. After next weekend. Graduation was looming, so McLeod started applying to jobs. 
He landed interviews at major companies, including Goldman Sachs, which he really wanted. But inevitably, the night before his interview, he'd go out with friends, drink too much, and wake up drenched in alcohol sweat and shame. He botched his interviews and was rejected from every company he applied to, from law firms to banks to tech companies. On the morning of graduation, McLeod felt like he had nothing. No Kate, no job, no direction, and no control over his addiction. He says it felt like the steering wheel of his life was off kilter. He watched his peers land their dream jobs. He heard through the grapevine that Kate had landed his dream job at Goldman Sachs. She was moving on and moving up. He was standing excruciatingly still. As he slid his cap and gown over his best suit, he made a vow right then and there to never drink again. It wouldn't be easy. Actually, he couldn't imagine a life without alcohol. But he needed to find his way back. So McLeod applied to a random law firm. You know, the kind with four consecutive last names on its masthead. And he made his way to the interview. But when he got there, he realized it wasn't a law firm after all. As he shook the CEO's hand, it occurred to McLeod that he wasn't sitting across from a lawyer. He was at a management consulting firm specializing in biodefense. A mouthful and a curveball. Basically, it wasn't at all what he thought he'd be doing after college. But newly sober, newly single, and desperate for a good distraction, McLeod gave the interview his all. And he was hired. McLeod spent the next few years becoming the best biodefense logistics management consultant he could be, spending his days in the office and his evenings at 12-step meetings. Eventually, he was handed bigger and bigger projects, and he liked the responsibility. So McLeod decided if he wanted to move up, he needed to go to business school. If he completed his MBA, the consulting firm told him they'd have a spot for him when he returned. So he applied to the best of the best, Harvard Business School. And between his college transcript and his experience over the last three years, McLeod got in. He was off to Boston. By 2010, McLeod was wrapping up his first year of Harvard Business School and his fourth year of sobriety. But still, something was missing. Kate. He said in the back of his mind was this feeling she was the one, that they were meant to be together. He knew his drinking was the reason for the breakup, but it tore the fabric of his universe. So he decided to reach out in the form of a letter. He told her he did not act with a lot of kindness or integrity during their relationship, but he would love to try again, adding that no one feels like home the way she does. The next day, Kate called. She appreciated his message, but she'd moved overseas to London, England, and she was living with someone. It was really over. McLeod was heartbroken. This wasn't the way their story was supposed to end. He cried for a week straight and slipped into a deep depression. Then one day, walking to class, a flyer caught his eye. It was for a Harvard Business School Valentine's Day dance called a crush party. The idea? List anyone in the program you had a crush on and see if they list you back. Mm -hmm. 
For the first time in a while, McLeod was excited about something. He was lonely and had trouble meeting people organically. Most of the time, dating centered on alcohol, something he adamantly avoided. A dance that helped facilitate connection sounded like a great idea. If Kate had moved on, maybe this way, he could too. One afternoon, he ran into a friend of his on campus, who also happened to be the student body president. McLeod brought up the dance, which was coming up next week, when his friend said, Oh yeah, you know what? We decided to scrap that whole thing. McLeod was crushed. His friend explained it all just got too complicated. Matching thousands of students to their crushes required some sort of algorithm that was way beyond the student council's capabilities. Sorry, man. Hmm, an algorithm. That wasn't such a daunting concept to McLeod. He'd been coding since the seventh grade. So that night, he went home and opened his laptop. Let me take you back to the year 2010 for a moment. Primary colored skinny jeans were the height of fashion. Glee was wrapping up its first season. And Facebook had just surpassed MySpace as the most visited social media website. If you were an avid Facebook user at the time, you'll probably remember a game called Farmville. It was an extension of Facebook where users tended to virtual crops and livestock. Farmville had 32 million daily users, showing the power and potential of Facebook-based programs. So McLeod thought, Facebook already provided an extensive database of potential partners that could be filtered by things like age, location, and interests. The perfect foundation for an online version of the crush party. So he started coding. Basically, he created an algorithm that would scan your Facebook friends and your friends' friends and ask you to click on the photos of the people you were interested in. If, and only if, those people clicked on your photo back, both parties would be alerted. McLeod says it was totally self-serving, the mecca for single introverts. He'd call it Secret Agent Cupid. McLeod became obsessed with his idea. He couldn't sleep, he couldn't do anything except think about Secret Agent Cupid. How could he optimize the algorithm to match users with people who shared their interests? How could he get people to sign up? And it was then that he decided. After graduation, he was going to turn down his standing job offer at the consulting firm. And he was going to see if his secret agent Cupid idea had wings. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. In 2011, McLeod graduated from Harvard Business School, and he got a friend and fellow graduate on board to help expand his idea. They'd each contribute $12,000 of their own savings to start building a prototype. At night, McLeod slept on the floor of said friend's apartment. During the day, he called up and met with potential investors. Harvard Business School is the highest-ranked business school in the world. And it's been said that alumni of such an esteemed institution have no problem securing financing for their ventures post-graduation, like bees to golden honey. But this proved not to be the case for McLeod. After every phone call and every meeting, McLeod and his secret agent Cupid were rejected. Venture capitalists said it would never become popular, and if it miraculously did, someone else would swoop in and copy their idea in a heartbeat. They said the market was already too saturated. eHarmony and Match.com had been around for 10 to 15 years already. Plus, and they stressed, online dating came with a stigma. Investors worried people hesitated to sign up for dating sites for two main reasons. One, because they'd be knowingly wading into a pool of humans already deemed undesirable in real life. And two, because no one would want to tell their future kids the story of how mommy and daddy met online. But McLeod's elevator pitch was that his program would be stigma-free. His target demographic wasn't the same as eHarmony or Match.com. He was targeting the 20 to 35-year-old singles, a huge untapped market, one that was far less stigmatized for being single, plus most comfortable using technology. But McLeod was rejected over and over and over again. 
Over the following year, McLeod was able to raise a little seed money from friends and family. Then, to his amazement, he got his idea accepted. Not by an investor, but into an incubator in Washington, D.C., an organization that helps fledgling companies get their ideas off the ground. Now he had enough money to hire his first employee. And soon, McLeod made his first executive decision. He didn't love the name Secret Agent Cupid. It had to go. So he started tossing around other ideas. Double O Cupid, then Two Degrees, then Three Degrees. But those would be impossible to trademark. He needed a word for something that connected two things. Surely there had to be a term for that. He stared out into outer space, then focused his attention on the door right next to him. Hinge, he said. I'm going to call it Hinge. For now. It was just a placeholder name, but something about it was sticky. Plus, when they looked into it, the word Hinge wasn't already trademarked. So, Hinge it was. And with that, they were ready to launch. They'd launch Hinge in two places, Harvard and the D.C. area. It would be the first time McLeod's idea would become available to people beyond just his family and close friends. A big deal. But it completely flopped. No one they approached wanted to sign up. The company wasn't hitting any of its early projections, and initial feedback from those who did sign up wasn't good. McLeod says people were weirded out by the concept. Online dating for people in their quote-unquote prime? People who should have no problem finding dates? Already, he was burning cash. Then, in 2012, a competitor launched, called Tinder. At first, McLeod thought Tinder was just another wannabe dating website. He wasn't worried. But upon closer inspection, it wasn't a dating website after all. Tinder was an app, 100% mobile-based. And just like Hinge, they had launched at college campuses. But unlike Hinge, the Tinder app had a swiping function, where users could swipe left or right. Right if they were interested in someone, left to reject them. If both users swiped right on each other, they were matched. The ease of the swiping feature was revolutionary, and soon Tinder blew up. Users were swiping one way or another one billion times per day. This was bad news for Hinge. By January 2013, McLeod was feeling depressed and anxious. The feedback they were getting wasn't good. They were being bulldozed by Tinder, and he was almost entirely out of money. Clearly, the future of online dating for young people was on mobile. So he decided to scrap the Facebook integration of Hinge altogether and, like Tinder, turn his idea into an app with a swiping feature. With the little money he had left, McLeod had a group of engineers design the perfect app, holed up in a tiny apartment, coding for hours and days on end. It had to be simple yet functional. 
they'd distill each person's profile to their photo, age, and location, plus a couple key interests. But within a few weeks, he knew they'd be completely out of money. They were running out of time. By February of 2013, the Hinge app was complete, and McLeod submitted it formally to the Apple App Store for approval. But before they launched, they needed to solve a big problem. If there were only a handful of users signed up on the app, people weren't going to stick around. There needed to be lots of profiles to either select or reject. In other words, it had to launch with a giant user base already. They had $25,000 left, so McLeod decided to throw a big launch party. He and his team would invite everyone they knew, people from college, people in tech, people with impressive social media followings. They found an empty loft space, got an alcohol brand to sponsor the party, hired a DJ, photo booths, and everyone who showed up had to download their app and sign up as admission. The guest list was 2,500 people long. But as the party loomed closer and closer, McLeod started to panic. The Apple App Store hadn't yet approved Hinge. Without approval, there would be no app to celebrate, no point in the party, no user base, a waste of their remaining dollars, and an absolute failure. He started trying to get in contact with Apple, but no one got back to him. He tapped all of his contacts in the tech world to see if anyone had an in with the company, but nothing. And soon, it was the night before the launch party. McLeod was curled up in a ball on the floor, crying. The last two years had been for nothing. He'd put what was left of their cash into this big party, and he had nothing to show for it. He was humiliated. The next morning, he woke up filled with dread. But lo and behold, sitting in his inbox was an email from Apple Corp. Hinge was approved. No explanation for the delay, no acknowledgement of his many frantic emails. But it didn't matter. It was a miracle. That night, their big launch party was a success. 2,500 people showed up and downloaded the app. The next day, another 500 people signed up. The day after that, they gained another 600, then 800. Suddenly, it seemed all of D.C. was on hinge. So they started a waitlist for other cities. But they needed investors to expand, something they hadn't been able to secure since the company started. But that's when venture capitalists came calling. While yesterday, Hinge was a sinking ship, today it was a major opportunity. They had traction and the numbers to prove it. Plus, Tinder was still exploding, which interestingly was actually helpful for Hinge, because Tinder was privately owned. So venture capitalists looking to invest in the dating app market couldn't get in on the action. Hinge, on the other hand, was seeking investors. Users who loved the app also started inquiring about becoming investors. And by 2014, McLeod had raised $15 million. Soon, Hinge launched in more major cities, like New York and San Francisco. 
Then Vanity Fair published an article titled Tinder and the Dawn of the Dating Apocalypse. The 5,000-word Vanity Fair article criticized modern dating apps like Tinder for spawning what had become known as hookup culture. The use of these apps for sex rather than relationships. Men, in particular, asking women on dates under false pretenses. The other major criticism was that individual users were swiping left and right hundreds of times per day judging their potential matches based on their photos alone, rather than personalities or interests. Though the article critiqued Tinder primarily, it also mentioned Hinge by name. McLeod says it was a gut punch. As Hinge became more and more associated with Tinder, he realized the two apps were even starting to look alike. In an effort to keep up with Tinder, he'd migrated away from his North Star. Hinge started because McLeod missed his girlfriend, because he longed for real connection. Dating apps were getting a bad rap, and Hinge's usership started to drop. So McLeod turned to his chief branding officer and vented about his frustration. He said he just wanted to tear this whole thing down and start over. To which she said, well, what's stopping you? So McLeod made the most difficult decision of his career. He let one-third of his employees go, which he says was a horrible experience. He hired a new team, then he brought his company on a retreat to inspire them with his new vision. Conventional wisdom says that online dating is a numbers game. If you sift through enough profiles, you'll inevitably find the perfect one. But McLeod wanted to use more data, more information to get people in front of their ideal match. So he did the unthinkable in the tech world. He stopped prioritizing growth, engagement, and time spent on his app. And instead, he focused on getting users off the app and on in-person dates. Hinge started sending out surveys to 500,000 users, asking how they felt about their matches on dating apps thus far, whether they went on dates, and most importantly, if those dates were any good. The findings? Ghosting, objectification, and digital addiction were prevalent. Seven in ten women on the leading dating apps reported receiving unsolicited sexually explicit images or messages from men. Six out of ten men reported seeking no more than a fling online. So Hinge published those findings for the world to see and positioned themselves as researchers on a mission to truly understand what made two people compatible, backed by science. Then McLeod decided to stall the app until they'd completed their research and overhauled their mission. He says this period quickly became his darkest. Users were dropping like flies, so were investors. They'd pretty much lost all their initial momentum. So McLeod made another big decision. While Tinder was free, the original dating websites like Match.com were always behind a hard paywall. So McLeod decided to go back to basics. But instead of $39.99 a month like the others, 
his would cost $9.99 per month. A paywall would weed out those just looking for hookups and keep the app to serious users looking for relationships. Then he made yet another change. Instead of swiping after seeing a single photo, they let users add up to six photos and answer prompting questions that let other users get to know their personality a little bit. Conversation starters. They also swiped left on swiping, removing the swipe feature altogether. McLeod told Vanity Fair it felt too dismissive. If Tinder was a bar, Hinge would be a dinner party. Then in 2016, they relaunched the new and improved Hinge app. Unlike their initial launch in 2013, the new Hinge app did not take off. Users didn't want to pay. They'd log in, reach the paywall, and log right back out. But Hinge needed money. So McLeod started flying all over the country, talking to every venture capitalist whose assistant agreed to pencil him in. He says he reached the point of begging, offering valuations that were embarrassingly low. But he was rejected. They said tech companies rarely make comebacks. So, out of desperation, McLeod decided to scrap the paywall idea altogether and instead adopt a freemium model. Meaning the app was free to use, but users could opt into a premium paid tier if they wanted to. And suddenly, McLeod says he started to see some signs of life. More and more users started trickling in. And with Hinge's new data analytics, one stat in particular stood out. The new app was 20 times more effective at getting people on actual in-person dates. By 2019, Hinge positioned themselves as the anti-Tinder, helping people find relationships. Their slogan? The app that's designed to be deleted. In other words, when you meet somebody and fall in love, they've done their job and they encourage you to delete their app from your phone forever. Suddenly, thousands were signing up for the app. Then, usership hit one million. And that wild and unexpected growth caught the eye of a major company. Match.com had acquired Tinder in 2017. And Hinge's total rebrand piqued their interest. So Match made McLeod an offer for an undisclosed amount to acquire Hinge. McLeod would stay on as CEO, but his company would live under Match Group's established banner. And he accepted. Today, Match Group enjoys a virtual monopoly over the online dating market. With an impressive portfolio of websites and apps, including Match.com, OkCupid, Plenty of Fish, Tinder, Hinge, and more. In 2021, Match Group reported Hinge brought in $200 million of revenue and is forecasted to reach $300 million by the end of 2022. With over 800,000 premium users alone, it's one of the top dating apps in North America, reportedly engineering over 32 million romantic meetups worldwide. According to Hinge's website, 
It's the most mentioned dating app in the New York Times wedding section, which was the case for Pete Buttigieg. Yes, Mayor Pete met his husband Chastin on Hinge. But you might be wondering, what came of Justin McLeod's love life? A couple years earlier, McLeod sat down with the New York Times to do an interview about his company. He met with the journalist, and at the end of their chat, she asked him one final question: "Have you ever been in love?" The journalist, Deborah Copagan, said she thought it was a throwaway question, but when she glanced up from her notes, McLeod looked stricken. He said, "Yes." But I didn't realize until it was too late. Then she says he asked her to turn off her recorder. He told her all about the story of losing Kate, whom he still believed to be the love of his life, and how he didn't recognize himself back then. It was his fault it ended, and he could never quite forgive himself. Copagan asked if Kate knew he still loved her. McLeod said no. Plus, he'd heard she'd been engaged now for two years. That's when Copagan told McLeod a personal story of falling in love with a boy in college. After graduation, they'd planned to meet up in Paris, but he never showed. She was devastated. Twenty years later, she stumbled upon his name online, and they decided to meet on a bench in Central Park. Turns out, he never intended to stand her up. He had lost the piece of paper where she'd scribbled her address. She had an unlisted phone number. He had looked for her everywhere. If she'd only known. But on that park bench, she realized something incredible: the embers of their love from two decades prior still flickered. So she said to McLeod, "Sounds like Kate isn't married yet. Go tell her now." The worst that can happen is you get a door slammed in your face. McLeod laughed. In truth, he said he thought Copagan was a bit nuts. But then he wondered. Three months later, McLeod was headed to London, England, to launch Hinge UK. London was the last place he'd heard Kate was living. So he sent her an email asking her to meet him for lunch. Turns out she didn't live in London anymore. She was in Switzerland. Shame. Except McLeod didn't care. He hopped the first flight to Zurich. He was so nervous he threw up on the plane. But he pulled it together and he met her at a cafe. The old flames caught up on each other's lives. They talked about college, about work, about his sobriety. It was comfortable and easy. He learned her wedding was one month away, with four hundred guests invited, linen tablecloths and centerpieces picked out. But by the eighth hour of their Swiss cafe reunion, Kate made a decision to call off her wedding. She realized what McLeod had known all along. They were meant to be. She moved back to the states, where the pair moved in together. On his college graduation day back in 2006, McLeod said he had no Kate, no job, 
and no direction. Today, McLeod and Kate are married with a son, Oliver. McLeod is the CEO of one of the biggest dating apps in North America, and he's headed in one direction. Up, up, up. Justin McLeod's life has been one of rejection. His company, Hinge, is an app born of romantic rejection, aimed at helping others avoid rejection, that was rejected by investors, users, experts, and even Vanity Fair magazine. It had McLeod curled up in a ball on the floor more than once and hovering on the brink of bankruptcy three times. But McLeod put himself out there. And after years of rejection, Hinge found its perfect match. There are so many types of rejection. Rejection from your family, rejection from your peers, rejection from society. Career rejection is our theme, but sometimes other types of rejection inform career decisions. That happened to Justin McLeod. He was rejected romantically by Kate because of his drinking issues. That left two indelible marks. First, the loss of Kate created a hole in his heart that never healed. He felt he had thrown away his perfect match. Secondly, McLeod had trouble meeting people, and because he was in a 12-step program, he didn't want to go to singles bars. Each set him on a path to find a better way. All rejections are interwoven. They are all part of your fabric. Some rejections pierce your heart, some make you afraid, some teach you lessons, some fuel your resolve to push through. Justin McLeod was the rowboat in that churning sea. But rejection has value. He learned to go with his hunches. He learned to roll with the punches. He learned to trust his moral compass when money tempted. And he learned to be firm on his goal, but flexible on his path when he decided to completely overhaul his app just as it was starting to make money, knowing he would lose users and investors. But he never walked away from his dream, despite all the pushback and all the obstacles. And he never stopped dreaming about Kate, despite the fact she was to be married to someone else in one month's time. That journalist was right. The worst thing that can happen is that a door gets slammed in your face. But remember that someone once said, to all the doors that closed on me, I'm coming back to buy the building. Today, Justin and Kate are happily married, and Hinge is worth $6.4 billion. Never, ever give up. Countries available, 20. Monthly active users, 6 million. Percentage of first dates that lead to a second date, 72. Percentage of newlyweds who met online through Hinge, 12. 
the app that's designed to be deleted. The Rejection Podcast is an apostrophe podcast production and is recorded in our Airstream mobile recording studio. This series is hosted and written by me, Sydney O'Reilly. Research, Allison Pinches. Director, Callie O'Reilly. Engineer, Jeff Devine. We regret to inform you, our producer is Debbie O'Reilly. Theme music by Ian Lefevre and Ari Posner. Major sources for this episode are listed in the show notes on our website, apostrophepodcasts.ca slash rejection. Follow us on social at apostrophepod. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also like Rejecting Netflix from Season 2. Rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. And while you're there, let us know of any rejection stories you'd like to hear. This series is executive produced by Sudbury's own Terry O'Reilly. See you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.